Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. With me, as always, is Detective Wallaby doing detective things. How are you detecting today? Uh, the game's afoot. I'm on. I'm on the prowl. I'm on the hunt. Are we playing Searching. Clue? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm currently searching in the study uh, with the revolver. <laughs> I'm Mr. Green. How are you today? I'm so good. I'm not doing detective things. <laughs> That's, oh it's tough goodness. doing detective things every day. I, I think it is. Especially I, during this pandemic. I could imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For today's history lesson, we are taking a trip across the world to a little place called India to discuss an educator, feminist, and scholar who went against the grain in every single way. The controversial and impactful Pandita Ramabai. Let's begin. Quote, Those who diligently and impartially read Sanskrit literature in the original cannot fail to recognize the lawgiver Manusmriti as one of those hundreds who have done their best to make woman a hateful being in the world's eye. Born Ramadangra on April 23, 1858, into a Brahmin family where learning was traditionally limited to men, her father, Anant Shastri Dongra kept her home and taught her to read Sanskrit, another practice usually only reserved to the men. Brahmins are the priests and the scholars, the top of the caste system that governed Hindu society. Neera Kosambi, an Indian academic, wrote a biography about Ramabai and said that the education her father gave her, quote, enabled her to escape the rigid gender code. Women were traditionally denied literature and scriptures and were relegated to housekeeping. That's, uh, I wonder if she knew anyone else growing up at the time. I mean, probably not, but I wonder if she was like the only girl that she knew who was learning Sanskrit. Yes. I mean, just from what you're saying, yes. like, you know, statistically. Most but of them were just I can't married imagine off already. what it's like to be like the, like, to have, to be the only person to speak. The only woman like, learning that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. The, yeah. To speak a language mm-hmm. and then. Well, it's not even, yeah, it's, it's a language and it's like what the scripture is written in. Yes. Yeah. And so that's how they limited women from being able to read the scriptures because um, they didn't teach them how to read it. So Mm -hmm. they were like, we're going to interpret this for you and tell you what it means. Rama lost both of her parents when she was just 16 years old to famine. She recalled that her father's, quote, last loving command to me was to live an honorable life if I lived at all and to serve God all my life. She and her older brother were able to make money reciting Sanskrit scripture. Wow. Isn't that great? That's great that they were able to flip that. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, let's what use can our we do? skills. We yeah. have I to mean, make some money we somehow. Taught. We have that's, to live. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. In 1878, she moved to Calcutta and word spread of her mastery of the Hindu holy books. The Sanskrit scholars at the University of Calcutta gave her the titles Pandita, which means scholar, and Sarasvati, which is goddess of learning. She became involved in the social reform and educational circles in Bengal. And here, Bai was added to her first name as a term of respect. 
Incredible. So it's so interesting to me, though, that it, for a long time, you know, it, it was like, don't teach her, don't teach her. They teach her. And now she's like this goddess of learning. Yes. And you're like, wait, though, you didn't want that to happen in the first place? It's great that so she was able to it's be very interesting. put in that position, you know, mm-hmm. um, as someone who didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it was very It's going to come to bite her, though. You'll see. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Hmm. Sadly, in 1880, her brother died, and shortly after, she took her largest break in tradition by marrying Bibin Behari Medavi, a lawyer of lower caste. Not only was this an intercaste marriage, but because he was Bengali Kayestha, it was also interregional. After only one year of marriage, he died of illness making Ramabai a 23-year-old widow with a one-year-old daughter named Manorama. It, it breaks my heart how death uh, followed her. Oh, um, it's that's, horrible. I can't imagine having to grow up that fast that many times, and I guess I'm, oh I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to speak from this position, but, I mean, you know, especially, um, especially in that social climate, it, it, you know... Oh my gosh. It's like having, trying to climb a mountain and then the rocks just keep falling on oh my you, sliding down uh-huh. and you're like, that's, uh-huh. it's, uh, I mean, just like, fixed. just, I mean, yeah, 16 and then her brother died and then her husband dies. Her dad, her brother, her, dad, yeah, her husband. And mom. She lost both her parents at the same time. It's awful. The two moved to Pune, now Pune, in Western India in 1882, the two being Ramabai and her daughter. Here, she formed the Arya Women's Association, a society of high-caste Hindu women who were working for the education of girls and against the tradition of child marriage. We love it. The Manus Mariti says that the ideal marriageable age for Hindu girls is between 8 and 12 years old. So. Nope. Yep. That's a thing. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) Nope. Quote. Awful. The girl now belongs to the husband's clan. She is known by his family name, and in some parts of India, the husband's relatives will not allow her to be called by the first name that was given by her parents. Henceforth, she is a kind of impersonal being. She can have no merit or quality of her own. In 18... I I wish you guys could see his face right now. I can't even. In 1882, Ramabai published her first book, Morals for Women. She testified before the Hunter Commissions on Education in India, which was an inquiry set up by the British government. She argues that Indian women should be admitted to medical colleges. Her impassioned arguments even reached the ears of Queen Victoria and contributed to the beginning of the women's medical movement or the Countess of Dufferin Fund. I mean, at the very least, yeah, which, they should be able to go to medical school. And like, this, this, what? this fund actually aimed to improve women's health care in India. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Ramabai and her daughter went to England in 1883. She had the initial intention of studying medicine but was told she couldn't become a doctor for various reasons. All Ugh. of the resources I found listed different reasons. Okay. All right. I didn't know uh, if it was it, Right. Well, is it cuz It's well, okay. So f- It's cuz There were well, no, there were a lot of different things. One was um 
there was a source that said she had increasing deafness. Oh. And, and, but then there was also some that said it was the climate surrounding women in medicine. So let's just go with it being a combination. She took this in stride and enrolled in the teaching program at Cheltenham Ladies College. Adding on to her list of ways to break tradition, Ramabai converted to Christianity. Now, this angered her Indian supporters. However, she also clashed with church officials. She didn't like their colonial attitudes and continued to wear Indian dress and remained a vegetarian. And I, she's someone who is so deeply spiritual that I think for her, she actually found more freedom in Christianity than she did in in her um, in the what was then practiced as the Hindu religion. I very much am a fan of. I very much am a fan of her um, kind of getting <laughs> on like like. Uh, on Making the both sides mad. Yeah, like yeah. She's like, I'm gonna do my own thing. Yeah, just like you much, guys should. <laughs> I very much enjoy this because that that's just it. Just shows you two structures of thought that are stuck in their ways. Right. And it's like, yeah. Well, if you're gonna get mad, good. This is like that. There's no well, other way. I'm going to be able to funny, sit at the table. I brought. Know, don't get mad at me because I brought my own chair. Well, it's so funny too because to I think with her, you know, where she's like. What was your point of bringing Christianity to me if you didn't want me to convert and then be, be immersed in it? And they're like, no, but you have to do these things no, and you yeah. got to eat meat. And she's like, I'm going to be a vegetarian. You can believe. Just don't go any further than that because <laughs> it's, it's so not. Weird. It's really against what you're seeing. <laughs> yeah, it's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> in 1886, she set sail to the United States to attend the graduation of a distant relative who had attended the Women's Medical College in Philadelphia. This woman's name was Anandibai Joshi, the first Indian woman known to complete medical college. Wow. I know. Nice. Like, incredible and, women and, in this family. It's a distant relative. And she knew them, though. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Like, the world, you know, the world is just supposed to, like, mm -hmm. work itself out that she is related to someone mm -hmm. when she's also trying to get on her mm -hmm. own platform. While in the United States, she translated textbooks and gave lectures throughout the U.S. and also Canada. Ramabai recalled how touched she was by American girls' optimism and saw the U.S. as a model for what modern India could be for the next generations of women, which is so crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. I did have that <laughs> thought in my head just now, too. I'm like, oh, man. I said, You're all, you guys are liberated here. And it's like, yeah. Well, I guess more than you, but. Yeah. Uh... Mm -hmm. I mean, we're here. She identified with the Native American and African Americans, and in a letter to her daughter, she described meeting Harriet Tubman. Wow. In this letter, she urged Manorama to be, quote, as helpful to her own dear countrywomen as Harriet was and is to her own people. I would love to see that uh, recreated in a movie oh of some God. sort. That I would be even... very cool to see in time. Like, just kind of like in passing. And it makes like it. They bump into each other's shoulders and they look and it's like. I feel like, I feel like I'm drawing, I have like a red string board, you know, and I'm like, this woman was doing this on this side of the world while this woman was doing this. And then they somehow like know these people who also knew each other. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Six degrees of separation. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. 
Shafali Chandra, Associate Professor of History at Washington University in St. Louis, said, quote, Here was a woman who circumnavigated the globe in the 19th century, built community in foreign countries, and overcame the visceral challenges of diet, dress, and language. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like really, she's, she's just like, we're going here, and I'm going to do this, and it's going to happen. Challenging the I status quo. It. That's what needed to be done. She knew that. Also, mm-hmm. circumnavigate is a great word. I thought so, too. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to put that in my lexicon. Yeah, that's a good SAT word. <laughs> it was in Philadelphia that her most important work would be published, The High Caste Hindu Woman. It was written in English in 1887 when she was just 29 years old. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, come on. That's not. I mean, no, it's fair. It's good. She lived a hard life. I'm happy. Wow. 29. It, mm-hmm. it focused on the plight of the Hindu women with a microscopic lens on how widows are treated, calling widowhood, quote, the worst and most dreaded period of a high caste woman's life. Widows and Brahmin customs were prohibited from remarrying, they were considered cursed, were supposed to shave their heads and wear drab, uncomfortable clothing. They were to eat only one meal a day and were subjected to physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Because of child marriages, some widows were still girls, literal children, when they were doomed to a lifetime as an outcast. And the lower caste experienced even worse treatment, if you can possibly imagine. I can't fathom. That's really just unfortunate. Quote, if the widow be a mother of sons, she is not usually a pitiable object, although she is certainly looked upon as a sinner. Yet social abuse and hatred are greatly diminished in virtue of the fact that she is a mother of a superior being. The widow mother of girls is treated indifferently and sometimes with genuine hatred, especially so when her daughters have not been given in marriage in her husband's lifetime. But it is the child widow or a childless widow upon whom in an especial manner falls the abuse and hatred of the community as the greatest criminal upon whom heaven's judgment has been pronounced. Wow. She questioned the rigidity of dominant faith and stressed that education was a way out of oppression and into self-reliance. She voiced the need for Native women teachers who could communicate in local languages. Readers were greatly impacted. Of course, the American audience is like, what is happening? Yeah. And women's women's groups actually formed the American Ramabai Association. It had dozens of chapters and was created to support Ramabai financially in her mission. I'm so glad she had... um... She had the support of so many different groups, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that that's, ins- it's, yeah, she, you're about to have even more flames on the side of your face. I mean, she, <laughs> her work, you know, mm-hmm. is for 29, it's just so much and it's, it's so necessary. And mm-hmm. I, I guess it's unfortunate that, you know, it was like, she had to do it, mm-hmm. you know, not that she was doing it on her own also because but she, you know, ha- she had the, right. You know, like no, I said, I, the support, but right. I mean, you know, I feel like other people, mm-hmm. like other people, like, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, I know, That's I crazy. know. In the book, she discusses a number of deep rooted sexist practices that are widely accepted as absolutely fine. 
She goes into the cast endogamy in detail and further mentions the matching of horoscopes of marriageable, like, girl and boy to see if she had widowhood in her destiny. It is never checked to see if the boy has widowerhood in his destiny. She talks about how unwanted daughters can be traced back to the Manu and its commandment that was followed strictly by the dominant castes. Still today, these are seen in sex-selective abortions, infanticide, and skewed sex ratios. Quote, in the form of a blessing, the deity is never invoked to grant daughters. Fathers very seldom want to have daughters, for they are thought to be the property of somebody else. The, I, I know. Okay. I don't have, like, full sentence thoughts. I just have, like... My hands are sweaty. I'm, I've, I'm just as, like, sweaty and mad as I was writing this and researching. The concept of pariadon is still talked about today, and women still do not get equal property rights in their natal homes, even though it is technically legally sanctioned. Quote, a son is the most coveted of all blessings that a Hindu craves, for it is by a son's birth in the family that the father is redeemed. Oh, uh. The burden is placed squarely on the mother as if she can control the sex of her baby, but she must have a son to gain her husband's approval. And mind you, she's been probably with her husband since she was nine years old. And so all she wants is for this man to approve and love her. All these words are so weird to me in terms of property and and redeeming and Mm -hmm. and, and And child and and son and, yeah, approval. Mm -hmm. All these makes my face screwed up. (laughs) In a horrifically stark contrast, she said, quote, In a home shadowed by adherence to cruel custom and prejudice, a child is born into the world. The poor mother is greatly distressed to learn that the little stranger is a daughter, and the neighbors turn their noses in all directions to manifest their disgust and indignation at the occurrence of such a phenomenon. The mother, who has lost the favor of her husband and relatives because of the girl's birth, may selfishly avenge herself by showing disregard to infantile needs and sliding babyish requests. Under such a mother, the baby soon begins to feel her misery, although she does not understand how or why she is caused to suffer this cruel injustice. Ramabai is a single woman and mother. Not many Indian women were active in social reform, and if they were, they did so only on the encouragement, a.k.a. permission, of their husbands. Quote, The chief means of happiness is complete independence. She repeated this concept in her writing and further said that the means for that is education. And education is a, quote, indestructible wealth. She's got that. She's got that 100% right. Mm -hmm. I I, I feel like, you know, they were able to, um, women are able to be put down in in society when they are, like, forced, when they are put down and, like, Mm -hmm. uh, not educated properly the way that like a male would be educated would be taught and then you know it's like no you know uh if if, people freak out when women try to like 
you know, take a stand and, like, educate themselves and, you know, help other women. And it just blows my mind. I don't Mm -hmm. understand. Like, what are you talking about? You are the reason why this is, Mm -hmm. you are the reason why they're upset. What, how? Like, Mm -hmm. this is, this is your fault. Yeah. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. It goes back so far. Right. And it's something, this goes back to, mm -hmm, this goes back to Pandita's education from her father right this goes back to that where he said he taught her how to read the holy books so that she could decipher them for herself so that she could look at this and say this is what this means this is how i feel about this this is what i know this is what my experience is i mean the fact that she didn't get married until she was 22 was like oh my god what you know no one owns no one i know no one owns no one Our mothers own us, but that's it. (laughs) But they brought us into this world, so that is that's the only Mm -hmm. line in the sand. Mm -hmm. But that's uh, like vomit, mouth vomit inducing. I know. I'm so mad. I know. Pandita wrote accounts of her travels that were successful and well received in India. She wrote how an American host was horrified that she was barefoot in the house and how Europeans had avoided her group of Indians on a ship and then further how she stood out putting a wool sweater over her Indian clothing to stay warm. (laughs) (laughs) I can just see her like super colorful, like beautiful Indian dress and this like like, big, big giant wool sweater. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm cold. That's not tradition. She's like, yeah, but I'm cold. So now it's tradition. In 1889, she opened the Sharada Sada, Home of Learning, in Bombay. She used the proceeds from her books and lectures, as well as funds that she had been able to raise specifically for the home. Ramabai offered widowed girls refuge and the opportunity to study and learn skills like gardening, carpentry, and sewing. The shelter grew over time and served more than 700 girls and women. Many of the women became teachers and nurses, and others stayed running a dairy farm and owning a printing press. The home is still active to this day. The shelter was initially a strictly secular place, but it did eventually become religious. She built a church and established the Mukti, uh, which is Salvation Mission. She was able to make contacts with Christian groups in Australia to help finance the expansion and was able to find dozens of volunteers. I think it's beautiful uh, what she what she's taken, like her her experience is both positive this and This is the negative. right way to use religion. Uh, I think this, like <laughs> she's, yeah, I mean. This is she's the right way to do it. You know, it's not about. It is pure of heart. Exclusivity. It's all about inclusivity. That's the message of like a belief mm-hmm. system. It's like, you know. And it just, you know, outside of a belief system, just as like on a human, on a, you know, human being scale, mm-hmm. sociological scale, mm-hmm. like you just want to, you never want to exclude. And that's been her message with education, you know, with women's rights, with religion. It right. just, it all just kind of ties in together. Like why, why have this like, you know, yeah. um, inner circle, like, mm-hmm. you know, sh- like you need to sh- spread the wealth, share mm-hmm. the love mm-hmm. and then. It'll mm-hmm. be reciprocated in life. Absolutely. Thrive. Your mm-hmm. society will thrive when yes. you allow all of the citizens within your society to thrive. What do you think's going to happen when you put everyone down or a marginalized group of people down? They're, gonna They're going revolt. to be upset. They're going to be like, the system needs to change yeah. because the system needs to change because yeah. it put them that way. Right. You know, it left them that way. And mm-hmm. then, 
you know, uprising, and then the system reboots itself, and then we're good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Right. Hopefully. Ideally. Pan- <laughs> Pandita drew opposition from conservatives and others suspicious of her conversion to Christianity. One newspaper even accused her of trying to, quote, set afire the ancient religion of her compatriots with the help of foreigners. You know what? Set it afire. <laughs> if she If she feels like she needs to do that because of child marriage because of the way it treats the widows of your society because of the way it marginalizes an entire group of people then like absolutely yeah. sure set it afire yeah, yeah do it challenge it clearly it shows that this we that should it always was not working. be challenging it, it's just not working right and if you disagree then you are part of the problem mm-hmm. fortunately she was able to find a few allies an anti-caste reformer sakitri and her husband yatiba pool in the 1890s, a devastating famine and plague hit the central Indian provinces. Ramabai turned her attention to housing and educating the victims of the famine. She toured the villages of Maharashtra, rescuing outcast children, child widows, orphans, and other destitute women. By 1900, there were 1,500 residents in the Mukti mission. That's Her, her movement is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean that goes, just goes to show that there that there is um there is a calling there is a clamoring for her message mm-hmm. like her message is heard it's being received it's being registered and 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 these people are turning out mm-hmm. this mission is still providing housing education and vocational training for vulnerable women and girls the marathi word mukti means freedom liberation and salvation Throughout her life, Ramabai published work in Hindi, Sanskrit, Marathi, and English. Her posthumous, uh, her last posthumous work was a translation of the entire Bible into Marathi. Manorama was more than Ramabai's daughter. She was an active part of the social and educational reform that her mother was implementing on the world. <laughs> she completed a degree at Bombay University and went to the United States for further study. When she returned to India, she became the principal of the Sharada uh, Saran, her that first um, school, right? She helped Ramabai establish a Christian high school at Gulbarga, now in Karnataka, in South India in 1912, and then became that principal. <laughs> I think she she's always had this. It, it's it's interesting to see the transition in her life, but you know the through line is that um, is education. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of um, being able to move up and help promote this uh, this idea of like women can be everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, not not just you know the student but the principal, mm-hmm. you know, like the, I think it the writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all those languages, like I feel I feel good enough to say that I know English and Spanish, but I mean, those languages probably did not come easy. No. Like for like to learn those four mm-hmm. to be fluent enough to write, you know coherently yeah uh, mm-hmm. and to educate you know mm-hmm. on and that to level help too further inspire her daughter to become all these things thing. yeah. but yeah like that monorama would have taken over the ministry of the mukti mission but due to poor health she died an early death in 1921 ramabai died soon after on april 5th 1922 at the age of 63 quote 
her background, her life choices, her personality, and her career catapulted her into the public gaze, making her the most controversial Indian woman of her time. This was said by Professor Uma Chakravarti in, in um, her book, Rewriting History, The Life and Times of Pandita Ramabai. Quote, wow. It was not just her feminism that was remarkable, but the way that she understood and revealed the Hindu caste system, said Chandra. Her critiques of the Hindu patriarchy and Christianity, as well as feminism, came at a hefty cost. She was marginalized in India and omitted from mainstream history books, but we are happy as little clans to spread the false narrative that was Mother Teresa because Catholicism. So. Oh. Yeah. I'm a... Put that little nugget. Every every couple episodes, I have to bring that up. I see, but to to her message though, like you know, she, here's the problem: is that she did what everyone's pretending Mother Teresa did. Oh, yeah. That's that's why what I mean by that. Mother Teresa didn't do anything. I was saying, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, sh- I mean, yeah, like sh- that. It's just she she did what you're supposed to do with with the message of God, with the message of any religion. I'm going to leave you guys with this quote. People must not only hear about the kingdom of God, but must see it in actual operation, on a small scale perhaps, and in imperfect form, but a real demonstration nevertheless. And that's what I mean. You know, like if, if you are going to put your message as God, then like you have to show you have to actually actively be that person. And she dedicated her whole life to that. And she is someone who I'm like, you know what? You are, what an impactful, brave woman. Oh my God. Cause you, like she knew writing that book that like she was going to be ostracized in India for, for exposing the caste system and what they do to what they were doing to the widows and, how they were treating these children. And she took that stand, Ugh. you know, that's, I, and she said, this might be on a backbone. small scale, but like, I'm going to show you a real demonstration of what I believe and what I think we can be as people. She had the right idea and you know, she had impactful, she made an impact when like generations after, you know, were writing about, you know, they're writing about her talking about how, she was able to kind of stir the pot um, and she took and she took those risks. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that we can reflect on it now, um, you know, whether being written about her or a podcast episode about her, mm-hmm. um, I think it shows that her, la- you know, she made a lasting impression. Mm-hmm. Like her impact is felt mm-hmm. uh, from India all the way to uh, New York City, mm-hmm. United States, mm-hmm. you know, so. Mm-hmm. That reach um, is mm-hmm. incomparable. A hundred years it's later, like, I, pff, the way the ripple the ripple effects are still the mm-hmm. the ripples are still in effect, mm-hmm. you know, from her work, mm-hmm. and so absolutely uh, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, historians, for tuning in again. Follow, subscribe, cross stitch a pillow, and give it to your dentist. Come back this Friday for an interview with the creator of The Honeymoon Fixer, Britt Marie Monks. 
In this interview, she tells us how she found her way into the travel industry, what she loves most about helping people book their dream vacations, the community of support that she's built within her company, and so much more. Okay. It's All so right. good. Well, I might do some detective work on her later on and see what this honeymoon fixer is oh. all about. Oh, Detective Wallaby. <laughs> I'm a mystery. You are. You're an enigma. Mmm. Mm. Other words that are like <laughs> mystery and enigma. Follow our social medias. TikTok. At Her Story Podcast. Instagram. At Women of Her Story Podcast. Twitter. At The Her Story Pod. Facebook. Women of Her Story. And visit the website at ofherstory.com. Until Friday, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Enjoy the sun. Wear sunscreen. Bye. Bye. Thank you.